Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. pray. Just stay standing. Lord, we we gather on purpose in this moment, and we pause, and we wait, and we listen, and we hear. And God, I pray that for the next several minutes, that you would help us to hear you and whatever message that you want to say and whatever you want to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows, and he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk in the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me, and you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what images come to your mind when you hear that. Again, I know we often read that at funerals or something, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. And I don't know what images come to your mind. I I know, again, for me, probably like most of you, you see yourself in this green meadow and there's this rushing river, there's this flowing stream, whatever it might be. And the deer are frolicking. But I want to kind of focus on the water part. I brought my water up here. There's nothing like cool, refreshing water. Like, like when you go out and you're working out in the hot sun, maybe you just took your, your jog, your morning run, your afternoon run, and you're sweating and you, are, you need relief. You need refreshment. And so you grab for that water. And then what I do is then the next thing I do is I go and I take a shower. Because I need that water to refresh me. When we're physically exerted and physically exhausted, we need that cool refreshing. And the same is true when we are spiritually and mentally exhausted. We need the cool, refreshing stream of God. 
This morning, I was supposed to start a new series, and instead, Carrie's going to start that next week because I just felt like I had to change it today, and I hope you don't mind. Because I've talked to too many people who are struggling in their spirit. They're struggling in life. You have pain, some beyond that you can bear. And so I wanted to take a moment today and pause on this weekend and give a message for my friends and my enemies. I had to throw that part in there. I hope that today, more than anything else, the, whatever words and however inadequate I am, refreshes your heart and refreshes your soul and refreshes your spirit. That's my hope. And I hope it meets you right where you're at. Because some of you are wanting to give up. Some of you are just done. Some of you have just had it. And I would encourage some of you right now, you probably have to go see a counselor this week. You need to go talk with someone. Don't put it off. Just do it. It's important. And I will champion that all day long. No shame in that. Do it now. Get that help. I, I am not a psychologist, however. I am not a therapist, a counselor. And this sermon is not that. I just want to try our best to look at what God says in his word and in his scripture. Some of you I know, you feel like you need a miracle. You're like, Tom, you have no idea. You have no idea the things that I am going through right now. And so some of you are like, I need a miracle for this pain that I'm in. Some of you, you feel like you need your miracle because of this overwhelming depression that you feel. Some of you need that miracle because of the overwhelming anxiety that you're struggling with on a day-to-day -day basis in your life. Some of you need a miracle to get over that addiction that's been holding you down for years. And so today I want to actually go into the Bible and I want to look at a miracle. But more importantly, I want to look at what happens before the miracle and what happens after the miracle. And so I am going to actually go in my Bible today to a book called Exodus. And there's a few chapters here that we're going to look at together. Exodus chapter 13, this is in the Old Testament. And actually what we're going to read about in Exodus is why it's even called that in the first place. This exodus of, of people out of a land that they were living in and towards a new land. But because I know that uh, some of you, maybe many of you, don't know all of the story. And even if you have grown up in church or you grew up with the Bible, you might need a refresher on what's happening. So I need to set up for a minute here first what's going on when we go back in the Bible to the, one of the very first books that we see in the Bible. So the people of Israel, which this book chronicles, call it God's people, the Hebrew people, the, they were happened to be in a time of their history where they were in bondage. They were slaves to one of the most powerful nations on the earth at that time, the nation of Egypt. And Egypt was getting stronger and stronger on the backs 
of these Hebrew people that were living in slavery. And God had a plan all along to rescue them out of this. And his plan was that he would put someone on the inside. Many of you know who this might be. This is the story of Moses. Moses was born to a Hebrew family. But since Pharaoh was slaughtering all the firstborn sons, he actually, they took him, they put him in a a basket, they sent him down the river. It's a whole crazy story. I can't get into it now. He was actually rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, and she ended up raising him in the palace of Pharaoh. So he knew from an early age, it seems, that he was a Hebrew, and he grew up as royalty in Egypt, right? And so at some point, he goes out and he sees this cruel Egyptian taskmaster beating this Hebrew slave, and Moses lost it. And so Moses actually kills the guy. And almost immediately, there's this regret, there's this fear, there's this anxiety, there is, I need to get out of here. So that's what Moses does. He runs away. He runs away to the desert, hopefully where no one will find him, except God's everywhere. And God chased Moses down at the right time and in the right place, and he says, Moses, you're my guy to go back to Egypt and tell that Pharaoh to let those people go. It's time. Of course, we know Moses was like, no way, not me, blah, 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 whatever. He goes back there, and now uh, he, God says, you know, don't worry about it. I, I got you. And so he goes back to Egypt, and through this time, and part of the convincing that, you know, needed to happen was these plagues, right, were sent through Egypt. Terrible, terrible things. Until finally they got to this last one, and Pharaoh relents and says, okay, get out. Take everything. Go. Leave. And this is where we pick up our story today in um, Exodus chapter 13. In verse 17 says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Seems strange. I could just go right here, God. God says, no, I'm going to lead you around. This is why. This is why. He goes, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, when the time gets hard, when you get faced with that thing, you are going to lose heart. You're going to get discouraged and you go right back to that same bondage, that same pain that you and your ancestors suffered through for 400 years. My takeaway here is that God may be taking you on a route through your pain that is purposeful in some way. It's not the quick route through, but he's taking you through it in some way that's going to end up being purposeful. Another takeaway I thought here was the more distance we could put between ourselves and the bondage, the easier time we're going to have in trusting God. And again, I'm going to build on this a little bit today as I just kind of talk together. 
But I find that interesting. And so, so then in verse 21, so you're like, okay, we're going to go the way you have us go, God. And it says in verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. Now, does anybody remember how the Lord went ahead of them? So what he did is he had this pillar. I know, I know this sounds crazy. It was this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night. And this was God leading them to the promised land, to the place that he had promised them. Out of slavery, out of bondage, out of all that pain, out of all that suffering, to a new place that he had for them. And he was before them, leading them in this cloud. His very presence was in front of him. So, the Israelites are marching through the desert. They're following this pillar, this cloud pillar. And then they set up camp, and they are ready to cross the river to the promised land. When in the meantime, the Bible tells us that the Pharaoh ended up having a change of heart. And he gathered up all his army, all the might of Egypt, and he began to pursue these people. And so now the Israelites can see off in the distance this army that wants nothing more than to completely and utterly destroy them gaining ground on them. So they have a problem. They have a sea in front of them that they cannot cross. And they have an army behind them that's out to kill them. They are trapped right in the middle. How would you feel? What would you do? And so, of course, they get scared, they get anxious, and rightly so. They cry out, and they cry out to Moses, and they say, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than to be a dead corpse in the wilderness. They were stuck. And I find this next couple of verses fascinating, and I cannot perfectly exegete them today because I need to get my head around it. But this is what happens. Moses says to them, and it's an incredible verse, he goes, don't be afraid. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Some of you need to hear that today. The Lord himself is going to fight for you. Just stay calm. Here's the interesting part. In the next verse, God speaks to Moses, and then he says, tell the people to get moving. It's almost like these two, these, these two things, right? Just stay calm. Be still. And God says, no, get moving. Well, I think for me, the takeaway, at least quickly in my prep this week was encourage yourself where you are to stop and to rest and to know that God is going to fight for you but at the same time you got to move got to keep moving God is calling you to go there's time and space for both he never calls us to sit still and to stop there he says keep moving keep trusting and then there's something that's really, really interesting that happens here. Remember that, that pillar of cloud that was in front of them? All of a sudden, 
they see this thing move. And it travels behind them. And it's getting to be evening now. And so this cloud moves to fire. And I found that picture fascinating. Because not only is God out in front of us leading us, but when we need it, he comes around us, his presence comes around us and protects us. From that thing that's chasing us, from that thing that we feel like we can't escape, he says, I got you. And if it's funny, I mean, you could read it for yourself in Exodus 14. The Bible tells us this confused the enemy. Um, and they started, you know, seeing things. There's st weird things started happening to the wheels of their chariots and all this kind of stuff. It's crazy. So then, you guys know, because you probably watched the Ten Commandments and saw Charlton Heston do it. Moses stretches out his hands, the seas part, right? And so now there's this path for this entire nation. And I skipped this part. By the way, the Bible tells us there were 600,000 men that were being led out of Egypt. That does, not count, that does not count any women and children. And so some would say, you know, you're talking probably minimum 1.2 million people, maybe up to as much as 8 million people. It's a lot of people. This is no small task to get away from this pursuing enemy through this humongous sea. And so it happens. This is the miracle. And some people would say this miracle is the greatest miracle outside of Jesus raising from the dead. This is the greatest miracle you see in the Bible. This is just impossible. And so here they go, all up to 8 million people go through on dry ground, right? And so now this confused, crazed army comes through and they go through and they're pursuing them. And the Bible tells us that the walls of the sea crashed in on them and were completely and utterly destroyed. It's incredible. It's craziness. And then we see this song that Moses and the people, they break into song. And these are some of the things. I don't know the tune, so I won't try to sing it. But these are some of the things that they sing about. And I quote, God leads us in love. God guides us with his might. God overcomes with power. And I like this. God brings us home to his mountain and he plants us. The one that he owns. Because he owns everything and he is big enough to own everything. And to have this whole entire mountain, this whole entire area, that's his. And he'll plant you right there. That's it. Woohoo! Complete and utter victory. We never are going to doubt you again, God. We trust you fully. You fight for us. Case closed. No more issues. No more problems ever again. We've seen your faithfulness. We've seen your protection, your love. We full on trust you. And because we saw that miracle, now we know from here and forevermore. That there is no one like you, God. If you can't tell, I'm being facetious, I am. Because it all sounds good, but we're smarter than that. 
We know that life is too unpredictable. Life is too tricky for that. When we follow God, there is no promise that everything is going to just be smooth sailing and never, ever again. Even though we've seen him work in our lives before, guess what? Stuff happens. Life happens. We live in a broken world. And so now we get to this place in Scripture, which is the place that I wanted to get to all along and what I think God put on my heart for this week. Because now they, they sing this song, they have this unbelievable victory, and they go and they begin their trek towards the promised land. All eight million people, led by Moses. But if you think for one second that this was an easy trek, you'd be wrong. I know I shared a couple of years ago, my family and I had this opportunity to go to Death Valley a couple of years ago. And it gave me a little bit more perspective on what a real desert looks like and feels like and acts like. And so the Bible records that they marched for three days. They were traveling with literally no water. That refreshing water that we all need. And this is just like, it's like one thing after the, like this, this journey is hard. And they finally arrive at this oasis, right? So they move out into the desert. They travel for three days without finding any water. And when they came to this oasis, the water, check this out, was too bitter to drink. Are you kidding me? Moses, you lead us here? God, are you kidding me right now? I thought we just got through all those battles and all that fighting that I've done, right? Are you kidding me right now? I'm back at this place again where I'm fighting for my life. If I do not drink, if my kids do not have water, we die in this desert. We can't drink. It's, it's undrinkable. And this is where we struggle. This is where I struggle. This is where some of you are struggling right now. Are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me, spouse? Are you kidding me, kid? And so it says that these people named this place Mara. M-A-R-A-H. Mara. And what Mara means is bitterness. Not only do we think of it in the sense of taste, right? Something bitter. Like I'm already doing it with my face. It like scrunches up. It's like, whoa, it's bitter, right? It's kind of gross. It's not sweet. But you also know that we take this word bitterness and it becomes this emotion in our life that we struggle with. Now, bitterness, it's not enough. It's not enough to just call it anger or I'm mad. No, there's something, there's something deeper. There's something different with bitterness. Um, here's how psych some psychologists would, would call it. Um, 
bitterness involves not only anger, but it involves feeling let down and completely helpless about it. Um, it's not just to be mad or angry or sad or disappointed. Um, it's all of that and more. It's feeling completely helpless, disappointment, and a sense of feeling unfair. And what does that do? It creates this resentment in our hearts. One person said this, bitterness is unforgiveness fermented. I'm going to say that again because I think it's such a great, bitterness is unforgiveness that ferments. And so I looked up the psychology of bitterness this week, and here's some of the things that psychologists would say. So what this does, when we become bitter in our souls and in our minds and in our hearts and in our, our spirit, uh, this leads to victim mentality, cynicism, paranoia, and prolonged pain. And it says it eventually drives people away from you as well. You see, bitterness is not good for our souls. But that's only if we let ourselves stay there. Because God is still present. Guess what? His pillar is still with the people at this time. And what he's trying to say is, look to me. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I am going to be faithful with you. And that's what he's trying to teach us. And so what happens here? Moses, the mediator for the people, cries out to God for help. God shows him a solution. And through his obedience, God proves himself again in a miraculous way. What happens is he says, go get that tree, throw it in the water. And that, that tree is going to make the water sweet. It's going to make the water healthy enough for you to drink. To, for you to stop to be refreshed and to be filled. And most scholars would say, and what Jewish tradition as I understand it would say, is that is a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus. That happens later on when he, we have that wooden cross that is raised and he is hung there for our sins and for our forgiveness to take away all that pain and to take away all that bitterness, all that thing, and, and, and put it completely in his hands. This was like a foreshadowing of that. It's pretty powerful stuff. And it's certainly a teachable moment about obedience in faithfulness. He goes on to say, he said, um, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptian, for I am the Lord who heals you. He says, listen, I want you to listen carefully to me. I want you to pay attention. I want you to lean in in this time of frustration in bitterness, in pain, in worry, in anxiety, in depression, listen carefully. And be patient. And do what's right to the best of your ability. And he goes, I'm going to be the Lord who heals you. God will provide safety for you. 
And it reminded me of that verse that's in the New Testament. It says, if the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, but God is faithful. And he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. That is an amazing passage. I know that a bunch of you have heard that before. He will show us a way out. Here's the thing I never knew. If I go back into that passage and, and back up Paul, he's the writer of that book. This is the New Testament now. His whole story starts from this one incident in the Scripture where they were frustrated and angry and bitter and disappointed at God, at leadership, at the circumstances in their life. That was what the example that he used was. And then he ended up at that verse. Oh, my goodness. I thought that was just a cool connection. And our story ends with their next stop being at an oasis. It's called Elim. And it served as their camp for a while. And what was special about this place is they arrived and it had several springs. I think it was 10 or 12 different fresh springs that they could drink from. It had palm trees. God provided. It was a picture that he is going to lead you and guide you and protect you and bring you to that place that he wants you to be. The Lord is our shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets you rest in green meadows and he will lead you beside peaceful streams. He renews your strength and he guides you along right paths that bring honor to his name. And even when you walk through your darkest valley, don't be afraid for I am close beside you. And my rod and my staff will protect you and comfort you. And I prepare a feast for you in the presence of your enemies. And you'll honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. My goodness and my unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. And you will live in the house of the Lord forever. That same mountain that he brings the people to that they sang about in that song of victory and celebration, that mountain that he owns, he holds you in the cleft of that rock. He is there to protect you. And so here's what I figure my friends and my enemies hopefully needed to hear this morning on your own journey. That number one, God goes before us as our leader. His presence is with you and it is before you. That God also goes behind you as your protector. And as Psalm 23 says, he walks beside you as a shepherd. God is always present in your pain. God is always present in your pain. He's before you 
He's behind you and he's beside you. And that's the encouraging message that I want to give to all of you, my friends. And I hope that God gives you the grace and the courage and the strength to bear up under that, to hold that close to your heart is truth. I am sorry for the pain that you're feeling right now. I'm sorry for that struggle that you're wrestling with. But I want you to know that the same God, the same God who parted those seas, who took care of that pursuit of that thing that was following them, who leads them to oasises in the desert and eventually to the promised land, has your best interest in heart. Just know that he goes before you, he goes behind you, and he walks beside you all at the same time. That's what we get for having an omnipotent God. That's what we get for having an omnipresent God. That's what we get for having a God that knows us even before he created us, the Bible says. He knows the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, to give you a hope. Cry out to him. He hears you, and he sees you. Let's pray. Lord, I am banking on the fact that your word is true and secure and that your promises are good that you are faithful to us. Even in the midst of our pain, you are always present. God, this is a word that I need to hear today. This is a word that my friends need to hear today. And this is a word that even our enemies need to hear today, that you are good and that you are present. God, maybe there's people in here today that life is just perfect and hunky-dory and they don't have to worry about a thing right now. That's awesome. But God, this is a lesson that they're going to need soon enough. This is a truth that they're going to need to hold on to soon enough. But God, I believe you look down with special eyes and special heart and special hands for people who really, really are in the depths of struggle. Really, God? Again? Why? God, protect our hearts. May we be obedient. May we be faithful. We put our trust in you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. I asked this team to do this last song. I think when you look at the words, you'll see why. I want to give you permission. You could, you could stand up and sing it if that's what you want to do. You could sit down and sing it. You could stand up and not sing it. You could sit down and not sing it. You could lift your hands. You could get on your knees. You could do whatever you want to do. But let's honor and respect the moment. Let's breathe in what God is saying through his word. A lot of this song is, is scripture. And I pray that God gives you a peace. It gives you space to just give this to God. To commit your ways to him. To commit your pain 
to him. And then I'm going to come up and I'll wrap us up.